Welcome back to Connections. We have a pretty incredible conversation today. Very incredible. Cody Bates has been the lead evangelist for the Adult and Teen Challenge Okanagan Men's Centre. He's the founder and director of the Avery Project. That's the charity aimed at closing the gap in addiction from when someone wants help to when they actually get it. His passion for helping those with addiction is second only to his passion for the Lord. He's also a former addict drug dealer, and a convicted murderer. We'll hear his life story today on Connections. He went from a maximum security prison to evangelizing across the country. We have Cody Bates with us this morning. Cody, tell us a little bit about your life story and how you got to this point. Oh, man. You know what? Uh, so I uh, I grew up uh, in an ab- abusive home. Um, just uh, I got put on prescription meds uh, very young. Um, which really stunted my ability to make friends and be myself. Um, so, you know, uh, at school, I'd be getting bullied. Uh, at home, uh, I'd be getting abused. And at a young age, I just really learned to hate myself. You know, it's just, I just, I didn't believe in God when I was young, but I prayed every single day that I would disappear. Um, when I was 12, uh, I tried drugs for my first time. And, uh, for the first time, uh, in my life, I was okay to be in my own skin. And, uh, so I took off from there. I decided I would do anything for it. Um, that led to crime. Uh, crime led to jail. Jail led to people that uh, were my own age that were treating me as their equal. They just happened to be gang members. Um, and I decided that I would do anything for those guys. Uh, by 22 years old, I was a, I was a full, full patch gang member. Uh, and I ended up getting charged with first degree murder in the homicide of a rival drug dealer. Um, I remember going in to maximum security prison. I was 22 years old and, and my heart just, just went black. Um, I just, you know, just sitting in a cell thinking that I will never live again. Looking at 25 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. All and hope is gone. All is, yeah, just out the window. And, you know, and the only, the only thing I could, could do in the, in the, at the time is just embrace what was happening. Uh, and that's just climb up the ladder of the gang in prison and become a prison boss. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what I did. And, uh, and it was filled. Yeah. My life uh, at that time was just filled with brutality, hate and violence. I was just mad at the world. I was mad at myself. I was mad at, you know, it's just so angry. Yeah. A lot of anger just yeah. built up inside. I think, oh yeah, a lot of people, maybe don't understand um, people that end up in prison. A lot of them start out like you, though. Really, they're looking for acceptance, maybe. They're lonely, right? They want to experience love, which sounds weird. A gang member wants to experience love, but is that what you were chasing after, really? Yeah, it was, you know what, and and, and what? Absolutely, it was. And it was very perverse love, but it was the first feeling of family that I'd ever had. Right. You know, and, uh, and yeah, and so I decided, you know, I would do anything for these guys. And, 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 and I found out really quickly that, that, uh, that, 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 that love is very pretend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, you know, none of those guys, like when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, none of those guys will be your friend. None of those guys will stand by you. They'll all stab you in the back if, if something, if something, you know, comes up that benefits them. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very, deceptive uh yeah it's a lot it's a lie straight from the pit of hell so how do you go from being in maximum security prison to sitting in a studio with <laughs> us are you supposed to be out of prison are you allowed to be <laughs> 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 no, no, is this the states i'm not allowed in the states okay, yeah no i uh so i i ended up getting out of jail um and and i stayed sober uh for a few years um just you know i got into the car industry started selling cars and uh and i sold 240 my first year out of prison 
uh, yeah, I was honored by the city of Calgary as one of the top salesmen in the city. And I hadn't even seen a car in seven years. So, was, you know, was, uh, but I'd never seen heated seats before, or that, you know, <laughs> navigation. Those all, you know, Lamborghini stuff, you know, and, uh, my enthusiasm rubbed off and, uh, and I, I was making tons of money. And, uh, but even, you know, one of the biggest lies someone ever told me is keep, Keep picking up the lunch bill and things will be okay. You know, that kind of translates to money will make you happy. Keep making yeah. money. And and it never did. It never satisfied. Nothing. I just chased lie after lie after lie after lie my whole life. And I remember being three and a half years sober and, and sitting there with, you know, looking at, I was looking at houses on the lake. I had a beautiful family. I had, you know, everything that everyone thinks, everyone said would make me happy. And that... Something was still missing that, you know, and we know what it is now. It's, you know, Jesus, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, but at the time I, I had no idea what it was. I thought I was just doomed to just have this horrible, lonely pit in my gut and that would never go away. And it just got to a point where it just didn't make sense to me that I was holding out on myself potential outlets to feel better. So I went back out. Uh, and when I went back into criminality, I went into, uh, I went into it with a maximum security mentality. Um, when I went back out, I, I, I knew my addiction well enough to know that the choice was I was going out to die. You know, there wasn't, you know, maybe I'll do it a couple of years and cash out or anything like that. It was, it was, you know, I, I chose to go die and hopefully I could just escape as much as I can uh, while in the process while I have Almost a slow motion suicide. I've called it before seeing people, That's right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I built one of the largest uh, cocaine distribution networks Calgary had ever seen. Um, it was I was making more money than I'd ever seen, but like I said, it wasn't about the money for me. It was always just about the escape. Uh, I hated, I, the coming down was painful, so I never did. Uh, and uh, my habit over it lasted about three years, but my, my habit got to, you you know, my tolerance built up and my habit got to around $1,500 of cocaine a day, uh, only sleeping every six days. Uh, it was very demonic. Uh, I lived in psychosis, uh, whispers, sounds, screams, sirens. Uh, everybody I met, um, you know, is just wondering if they're setting me up with a rival, wondering if they're setting me up with the cops. Like, like there's no... Like, there was no satisfaction in that existence whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I never took my sunglasses off because I hated people seeing the caves in my eyes. I, uh, my, the mirrors of my house were all smashed because I hated seeing myself. I'd sit there for days at a time just staring at my surveillance cameras, you know, and people would bring me money and stuff. And, and then one day this girl comes in my house and she's, uh, and, uh, she wants me to look at this painting. And it's, uh, it's painted by, a by, a by an eight year old girl named Akiana Kramaric. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've heard of her? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Man. I know the painting, but oh, tell man. everybody. So, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> this painting, uh, it's, it's, it was one portrait specifically called the Prince of Peace. Yeah. And uh, it's a painting of Jesus. And uh, and I remember she showed me this painting. It was painted by an eight-year-old. That'd be like my, my, my five-year-old doing a Da Vinci in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he can't even hold a pencil that well. <laughs> you know, it's just impossible. Yeah. And so, for the first time in my life, I believed... That 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 was God, and you know, and 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 that Jesus, like before that, I would have used Jesus in the same sentence as Moses. Uh, he was just a a character in the Bible. I didn't know he was God. Uh, you know, I'd never been to church. You know, never picked up the good book before or anything like that. So, but I remember for the first time in my life, I believed that he was God and that he was real. And that, but but not for one second did it cross my mind that possibly he would want anything to do with me you know like uh, up to this point i'm a convicted killer i'm a diagnosed sociopath Mm. i'm a gang member i'm a drug dealer 
Like, what would Jesus want with someone like me? Yeah. So not for one second, I think, you know, maybe he can help me. <laughs> like, maybe he can be the answer. Like, that didn't occur to me. I just thought it was cool that I found out God was real. And I ended up going for about another five months after that. Um, and, and I, and, and January 4th, 2017, uh, I was taking my life that day. And I remember, I remember going downstairs and getting a butcher knife and coming back and going into my room. And when I sat down, um, I was thinking, you know, that's the last time I'm ever going to use my legs. Like it was like, I was, it was, it was, there was no, there was no getting up from it. Like that was, there was, I was taking, you know, my fate out of whoever was in charge and taking it in my own hands and, and I was going to finish it that day. And, uh, and as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at pictures of my little boy and, uh, and thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, let this be the one good thing you do for him. Let this be the one good thing you do for the world. Up to this point, I was just, I was so evil, brother. You know, and it was just, I never, I hadn't done anything good in my life. It was just, I, I just thought the best thing I could do for my child is make it so he doesn't know who I am. And, uh, and as I'm sitting there cutting my wrist, the devil's ultimate lie, eh? They, uh, and as I'm sitting there cutting my wrist, all of a sudden, in the most perverse moment of my entire life, I started feeling things I've never felt before. Um, like, first of all, it was like that, that melon in my gut just disappeared. Uh, and then the, the weight on my shoulders vanished. And all of a sudden I started being filled with benevolence, with peace, with joy. Uh, and the words were repeating, uh, not in my head, but in my heart. It's over. It's over. Your sufferings come to an end. And these feelings weren't like just like a little bit, but like bursting out of me. Yeah. And I've never been to church. I've never read a Bible, but I knew without a doubt that Jesus Christ was was talking to me in my heart and that and that I belonged to him in that moment and up to that point I had done absolutely zero (laughs) (laughs) to deserve any sort of love yeah but that but that but his grace is sufficient yeah I I I got up and uh yeah he left the 99 to save me I got up and and uh and I took my jewelry off thousands of dollars I peeled off of me and Threw it down uh, in the garbage. Uh, I put. I had about thirty phones that had customers, clients built up over the years. Um, I put them all in a bucket of water. Uh, I, uh, and I walked out of my house. I left my entire house. Uh, like it was. It was just. It was my pile of dirt. I wanted nothing. To, to, like I in that moment, my identity wasn't in those things. In that moment, I realized that my identity is wrapped up in exactly who Jesus created me to be. Oh, man. So, so where'd you go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I went. So the crazy thing, yeah, I went to my dad's. My dad, my dad's huh. like normally terrified of me. <laughs> you know, my dad would never take me in a hundred million years. And he did. He took me in. And, uh, and you know, Holy Spirit did a work in his heart. And wow. I, I went into my dad's house. And I remember I remember being there and just my, my detox. It was the first time I came down in years. Uh, so the first time that my my mind got cleared a bit from the fog that I've been polluting it with. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I remember just shaking under my blankets and I knew I needed to pursue Jesus, but I didn't know if I was a Protestant. I didn't know if I was a Catholic. <laughs> I didn't know if I was some kind of witness, you know, like I didn't know what I, where do people go to love Jesus, yeah. you know? And I'm like, who can I trust in this situation? I'm like, Oh, Akiana Kramerik. I'm like the girl that Jesus taught to paint. I'm like, uh-huh. what, what is she? You know, clearly, he, you know, <laughs> took her to the right church. <laughs> and, uh, because she used to be 
an atheist or whatever. She grew up in an atheist family, so I'm like, he's obviously taught her where to go. And uh, and then it turns out she's a Christian. I'm like, oh, well, that means I'm a Christian. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, where do Christians go to church? And uh, it turns out my uncle's a Christian. I'm like, oh, where does he go to church? <laughs> and so I went to uh, the Black Diamond Gospel Chapel, and I remember my first day in church. I'm come running in, and late, of course, and I come running in, and uh, and I go running right to the front pew, front and center. And uh, as I'm sitting down, I'm I'm holding my midsection, I'm rocking back and forth. I'm detoxing in the front row, and the pastor stops what he's saying. <laughs> he's looking at me. And I hadn't seen a lot of this before. They, uh, the neck yeah. tattoos. Now, yeah, yeah, I'm tattooed head to toe. Just twitching out in his front row, and he just kind of stops. I'm like, oh, come on, man, roll it up, man. Tell me about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and at the end of the service, he uh, I get up and I go booking out of there, and he chases me down. And he puts a Bible in my hands, and uh, when he put that book in my hands, I knew that every single word in this book was as good as gold. That God wrote this book, that it was perfect. Um, when I took it home, I'm twitching under my blankets, and it's, uh, <laughs> the words are, are just coming alive as I'm reading them. You know, my entire life I chased lie after lie after lie after lie, and for the first time ever, I'm reading truth after truth after truth and just being oh just filled with the holy spirit as i'm reading and uh and and it just and it just spoke to me god just started really speaking to me um and uh one of the things that he put on my heart was to start writing a book uh and this was like <laughs> like within a week of being sober, I'm like, I'm supposed to write a book, and I got like no typing skills. Like, you know, like how, how many years ago was this? Two. <laughs> Two years not, ago. Not long ago. <laughs> wow. So yeah. It's been an incredible conversation hearing about how God has worked in Cody Bates' life and got him to where he is today. It's such an incredible conversation that we need two days to tell the full story. So we're going to be back tomorrow with part two of the Cody Bates story. Make sure you join us then. We'll talk to you again on Connections.